0: The Money Show.
1: Shapeshifters. Our Shapeshifter this evening is in the NGO sector. The Alan brady's is the chief executive and founder of SA Harvest. And it helps feed hungry people. And our sister station in Cape Town, KFM, today had a radiothon. Uh, the aim was this morning, uh, well, yesterday and then first thing this morning, was to raise 8 million rand. And they set themselves that target over a 12-hour period from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Lotto Star said they would match donations. um, And so that was very good. And they called it the Feeding Our Future Radiothon. It was all in aid of the Peninsula School Feeding Association. I'm looking at the donations that are effectively on a, a ticker tape there's one donation from JP Spay of 500,000 rand and large corporate donations as well. Generous donations from individuals, from companies, from foundations. Brian Abana's foundation has made a, a generous donation. They got to the 8 million rand target by the first thing this morning, by about 11 o'clock they got there. Alan Gray with 200,000 and Coronation with 100,000. And Prime Media, Uh, the company that I work for and that owns the radio station, uh, donated 100,000 rand, as did KFC and the CEO of Prime Media donated 5,000 rand. And other colleagues have come to the party as well. By six o'clock this evening, they'd reached 20 million rand, outstripping the original target by 250 percent, an astonishing achievement by a team that really pulled together to tug on the heartstrings of Cape Capetonians. And as that ended, we got hold of the station manager at KFM. His name is Stephen Werner. And I swear Stephen was about to cry with joy, pride and possibly some exhaustion. Tell me, how much have you raised and why have you raised it? We have raised 20 million Rand in 12 hours, thanks to the people of the Western Cape, corporate Cape Town, corporate Western Cape, corporate South Africa. And our friends at Lotto Star, all for the Peninsula School Feeding Association, they are feeding 28,000 children, and we have fed 28,000 children for an entire year, and then some. The original goal was 8 million, we've gotten to 20, and that's all because of our listeners and the people of Cape Town and the Western Cape. Are you going to cry? I've cried twice today, I might cry again. Uh, Maybe. Manic is our Stephen Werner. Yeah, what a great achievement. 20 million rand raised in a day for the Peninsula School Feeding Association and it'll feed tens of thousands of kids for a whole year. The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Alan Brady, founder and chief executive at SA Harvest is our shapeshifter this evening. That must warm the cockles of your heart. Alan, good evening.
0: Good evening, good evening, Bruce. How are you?
1: No, very good, thank you. Raising money to feed people who so desperately need it and there are millions in South Africa who do is not an easy task, I'm sure.
0: No, it's a very difficult task. It's, I'm absolutely flabbergasted by this. And uh, it's just an, an amazing effort. And given that there's such, and worldwide really, there's such donor fatigue, um, it's, it's, it's an unbelievable effort. And that's, you know, how we survive, NGOs, is by raising money from generous people. And it uh, it's tough. So I must say this is uh, really does uh, uh, please me. It's unbelievable.
1: Tell me about your background, Alan. Where you born? You you <coughs> grew up in Joburg. Were you born in Joburg?
0: Yeah, born and bred in Johannesburg um, in a suburb called Sandringham. Uh, started my life at Sandringham, Uh, primary school and then uh, later on shifted to King David, King David High School, where I matriculated and then um, went to university here and did a basic uh, BA sociology, like most people did then, and then um, went, uh, became a farmer on a kibbutz in Israel for some years Now, explain that
1: that to me, please, Alan. I mean, it was a hell of a trendy thing to do at one time, especially for young Jewish South Africans. It was uh, almost like a rite of passage. I mean, the kibbutz, you say you became a farmer. Were you farming or were you working like a maniac on the the kibbutz? Because, I mean, you get such mixed stories of what they were living on the kibbutz. I suppose it depended on the kibbutz and who you were there with and people from all over the world. But there was this idea that you would go work for nothing, you would... Um, you know, toil and cover bunches of bananas with black bags to help them um, (laughs) (laughs) ripen faster. You'd be up before dawn in bed after dusk. But, you know, it was a good party, but you worked blimmin' hard for the privilege (laughs) of getting this communal living experience. Quite a socialist idea. So, Bruce,
0: it sounds like you... (laughs) You've done know, it yourself. You're just I, I, yourself.
1: I, I know. I know one or two people who have, um, but yeah. I, I was blocked. I was blocked. Parents said, "No, you're not going to go do that. Go to university." Uh, and then I got busy. Um, but yeah, I, and I'm uh, sorry, I missed the opportunity. But your experience was it? A, was it a life-affirming experience?
0: Yeah. No. 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 So mine was. You know, they, they were. They really. You were describing two types of lives. Really, one was a, a sort of committed. Um, um, life to, to, to the socialist way of living. And the other were what we called the uh, volunteering. So volunteering was used, as you know, from all over the world and from South Africa and everywhere. And if you lived on a kibbutz, um, groups of volunteers coming to work on the kibbutz, as you described, was very common. But for me and for my, um, you know, uh, social network, it was really a commitment to the socialist way of life. We believed in it, we believed in the kibbutz as, as probably one of the uh, purest form of socialism in, in, in terms of a, a sociological structure in the world. So it really was, you know, uh, from whom according to his ability, to whom according to his need. And that's what we lived. And, uh, you know, we believed in it and from when we were young, we, it, it was our main uh, passion in life. And, and so for me, it was going there and working. There was an ideological element to it. I worked in the in 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 the um, uh, 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 dairy, and uh, we had a magnificent business, and it was very hard work, but it was very fulfilling.
1: And how long were you on the kibbutz for? You said several years.
0: Well, yeah. So I was there for uh, uh, altogether about five years, Good. and um, and then. Uh, then my personal circumstances changed, and I came back to
1: South Africa. Okay, but have you always been involved in sort of uh, in, in NGO work? I mean, you did spend time at Grey Advertising, but you, as as MD of Grey Action, um, which was, I think, not quite advertising, but sort of almost social leanings there as well.
0: Well, not really. The Grey, Grey, um, the, the the Grey Action was the sort of marketing services. Provided to the Grey Group, as you know, in those days, the Grey Group was the biggest advertising agency in the country and had uh, many huge blue chip clients. And they they, they they spun out this company to provide public relations services, um, design services, promotional services. And that's what the Grey Action did. So it wasn't really the NGO space. The okay. NGO, my NGO. Sorry, Bruce.
1: No, carry on. Sorry. I'm just affirming. Sorry. Carry on.
0: Uh, yeah. So, um, but the, the end. My I, I then got into marketing and had my own marketing uh, services company for the last twenty five years or so. But the story of SA Harvest, the the uh, uh, this NGO, um, is 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 really uh, it's it's quite a nice story. I grew up in Sandringham, as I told you, and my next door neighbour was uh, then a woman, a girl called Ronnie, Ronnie Hellman, who's today Ronnie Kahn. And she and I grew up as sharing a fence. And I had parents who were very professional and, and, and career-oriented, and, and her mom was really a home mom. So we went to the same schools together, we in the same lift schemes. I would come home and always go to her house. And uh, her mom would feed us every afternoon <coughs> chips beautiful chips, and drinking chocolate. Oh. Today I think it's called hot, hot chocolate. But it was like, that was life. It was brilliant. <laughs> and we became, we had a sibling-type relationship for all the years. And when we were 20, we, we both went to Israel together. She, to another kibbutz, I took a kibbutz, she married a mate of mine. And um, uh, eventually she too left and went to Australia. And in Australia, she started an events business and became very successful at it and saw in her events business the incredible waste of food. Ah. I mean, you're talking about 30 to 40% of the food, you know, and I mean, if you translate it into rands, to hundreds of thousands of rands worth going to waste. And she, she saw this and actually, you know, it, it turned her stomach. And to cut a long story short, she started taking this food with permission to people who needed it in Sydney, where she was living. And, you know, um, people in Sydney and in, in first world cities are often totally unaware of people who need it. And there are plenty, plenty in Australia who need it. And so she started this business. And today, after 17 years of this business, Ronnie uh, has um, um, delivered more than um, 300 million meals. She's got the order of Australia, which is like, uh, you know, uh, the, um, getting the OBE. She's become a very famous personality. And I mean, uh, I don't say that lightly. She's a famous woman in Australia. She's done amazing things. She helped change the law, the Good Samaritan law, um, which was very important. And um, she's uh, done fantastic things. And we've kept this relationship up all our lives. And I said to her that I I commit because she really wanted to give back. And I wanted to give something back to this country, which has given us so much. And uh, I said I committed to start SA Harvest so that's what happened which i did in uh, i went to australia learned the business i got on their trucks i delivered food with them i drove the trucks i sat in finance meetings marketing meetings and 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 learned the business and then came back here and started it and and that was well it took me about a year to get all the legal stuff together and do that trip to australia so that was around about 2018. And then in August uh, 2019 we
1: launched yeah and so that, uh, that's how got you and that's a, it's a well it's a well-explained path Alan SA harvest then what does it seek to do in a country with so much need and you can only as as an individual or one organization begin to scratch the surface of need in in a country that is as, as tough as ours is
0: oh well yeah, there are no words, really, Bruce. There are no words. Uh, the fact is that, uh, you know, we, you, you, you do what you, you can. But on, a, on a, 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 in, in general, our, our mission as, a, as an organization is to end hunger in South Africa. That's our mission. So how we do it is um, we have a sort of 3 three-legged strategy. On the one side is we rescue food that would have gone to waste and we uh, deliver it in appropriate vehicles to other NGOs who feed people. So, in principle, that is the charity side of the business. Now, the figures, the, the, the two stats that, that, that motivate and drive us are one, 10 million tonnes... 10 million tonnes of good, edible food goes to waste every year in this country. So now, it's difficult sometimes to imagine what 10 million tonnes is.
1: No, exactly. But if if you you take... Visualise it, yeah.
0: Yeah, so so I'll give you... You know, if you go into a restaurant and uh, you order, say, a 300-gram steak, you're ordering a decent meal. And if you add some chips and this and that and whatever, and you get to about 333 grams, you've got a very good meal. And that's how we measure in our industry what a meal is. So we do it by weight. So if you take 333, take 10 million tons at 333 grams per meal, you're talking about 28 billion meals a year uh, okay. goes to waste.
1: <laughs> Phew. Okay. 28
0: billion meals. Now, in our country, the other other stat that drives us is that 20 million South Africans are in serious state of, of food vulnerability. 10 million children, Bruce, go to sleep hungry every night in our country. And I say to people, you know, we're parents. Can you imagine your child going to sleep one night hungry? crying of hunger. 10 million children go to sleep hungry every night. Now, here's a country country where there's 28 billion meals going to waste, and the need, if you analyze it, is about 20, 21 billion meals. So we have a surplus of food. There's a surplus of food in South Africa. The fact that one child goes to bed hungry at night because they haven't got access to affordable nutritious food is a catastrophe that needn't happen. So that that that's the one side and and uh, you know while the one side of our business is charity because the the the, the NGO space stops people from dying on mass of hunger. that's that's a fact. the NGO space obviously. Yeah. Uh, I mean, without, without
1: NGOs, particularly in COVID, as we went into COVID and the timing of the launch of SA Harvest, Alan, could not have been better, frankly, because you came to the market, for want of a better word, just a couple of months before COVID hit and people were thrown out on, on the street, literally, and people were, were at risk of starvation. And it's only through organizations yeah. such as yours that, you yeah, know, probably tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people were kept from the brink of starvation courtesy of of of, the, of what you do the food where does it come from you talk about oh, the, oh, this wastage and all of this excess food and we've spoken to the the food forward guys who who go to restaurants and go to retailers do you sort of go follow the same sort of track to get access to you know food that is probably approaching its best buy date um and getting access to perfectly good food which can then be translated into Nutritious meals.
0: Yeah, so th- that's right. I mean, yeah, uh, we 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 source our food uh, and re- we we rescue our food, the food that would have gone to waste, from the entire food chain. So from agriculture, through the manufacture, uh, and then through the retail, uh, that's where we rescue our food from. So, um, you know, people talk about restaurants and stuff like that, but the the thing about restaurants is that uh, restaurants and, and 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 we find, I mean in, in South Africa, restaurants seems to be the most professional aspect of our economy. There's not much waste because they're efficient., yeah. restaurants who are wasting restaurants who are wasting food are not in business for too long. So most of our food comes from the from the agriculture, manufacturing. And, and 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 retail sector you talk about you know from from uh, um manner from from agriculture through through the food chain uh that's where most of the waste occurs there is there is that uh image that a lot of the waste occurs in households but you know in developing countries house like we are households uh, the, the the percentage wastage is small relatively small uh in in Developed economies, where people, you know, if if there's a if there's a sort of um, slightly softening tomato, they'll throw it away because yeah. it doesn't mean that much. But in our sort of economy, it means everything. How
1: how much of a food crisis we're sitting in right now, Alan? In your uh, to to your estimation, as we go into a winter where jobs are scarce, opportunities are scarce, food price inflation is high, cost of living is risen exponentially over the last year to eighteen months. How much trouble are we in?
0: We're in huge trouble, Bruce. Absolutely huge trouble. And the fact of the matter is that we live every day it it, it boggles my mind and I mean being involved in this thing to see and, and, and anybody can come and, and I invite anybody to come with us to our beneficiaries who are feeding children and 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 men, women and children. We're in huge trouble. Um, There's a food shortage. People have not got access, enough access, to um, nutritious, affordable food. And so there's a problem. And we know that there's there's an inflationary problem right now. And, uh, you know, it it just gets worse and worse. So... um, there's just absolutely no doubt, and 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 to my you know my my thinking about this is, I mean we are in, a you know we we hear about wars, the war in Ukraine and other wars in history and so on, and how people uh, responded, like for example after the Second World War, in England, in the United Kingdom, they responded unbelievably. They planned and and they 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 created, and and I, I'm saying this advisedly because. It's something that we're pushing very hard for. They created a ministry of food, and that ministry of food made sure that there weren't shortages in, in, in the United Kingdom. And they created these victory gardens where everything, even Buckingham Palace was turned into a yeah, garden. absolutely. Yeah, Buckingham Palace was turned into a garden. And you know, Bruce, they produced one million tons of food from these little victory gardens. But what but what was required was central systemic intervention. So what what I wanted to say to you was that we are in a war zone here. It's an absolute war zone. And it always amazed me, you know, that before, before COVID, we had uh, 15, 16, 17 million people going to bed hungry every night. And we, we, we just, you know, drummed along on our daily lives. COVID woke people up. Said, oh, it's going to be terrible and the food and the hunger and this and that. And, and money poured into NGOs. We got a lot of money. Many other NGOs got a lot of money. People were suddenly, yeah, oh, it's going to be... But the day before COVID, the crisis wasn't <laughs> any worse.
1: No, exactly. Um, Alan, we must leave it there, but I thank you so much for a very provocative discussion and a very valuable discussion this evening. The founder and chief executive at SA Harvest in the nick of time, the creation of SA Harvest. Alan Browdy sharing that story with us this evening. Thank you for doing it.